Welcome to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. On our last podcast, we spoke to Amy Friedman, founder of Pops the Club. Pops means pain of the prison system. It's an after-school club for high school students who have a parent or a family member behind bars. Today, we are pleased to welcome John Rodriguez, a member of the POPs board, a former juvenile offender, a college grad, almost in June, having earned, he will have earned his BA. He's a writer and an activist. Very impressive. It's great to have you with us today. Welcome, John. Thank you for having me. Okay. You have quite a story to tell. Where would you like to begin? Um, I, I, I think the best place to start is probably the classroom. Okay. Um, so I, I say that because that's kind of where my connection to writing started. Um, and when I was 17, I had encountered writing through a high school teacher. Um, before that, didn't really like writing. Um, wasn't into reading, probably never read a book on my own up until probably around that age, 17. Um, and the only thing I came closest to writing was tagging. So that was something that I used to do. That was my form of therapy. Um, but I encountered um, a high school teacher who introduced writing. And it was something that was very, very new to me and something that opened up a different way of trying to understand myself and my situation at that age. Okay. Um, now, in my introduction, I said that you were a former juvenile offender. Can you just tell us briefly um, what you know, how you came to um, be incarcerated, and then you had um, a wonderful thing happen thanks to Governor Brown. Yes. So. Um... So at 17, even though I had found writing and I found the classroom and the, and the teacher who actually cared, um, I was still involved in living a certain type of lifestyle. Um, and this ultimately, ultimately led me to becoming incarcerated. Um, I was still in high school. So on Friday, um, I was still going up to class and showing up for first period. But then by Monday, I was inside a county jail. And... I didn't know it then, but that I would be spending a good chunk of my life behind bars. Um, even though I was only 17, I was tried as an adult and convicted as an adult and was given a sentence of 22 years. Mm -hmm. um, at that time, um, a sentence like that for a juvenile, uh, especially where the prison system was at the time, it was very unlikely that somebody would come home with a sentence like that. Just because the, the multitude of violence that's inside, uh, the chances of somebody catching extra time by catching an extra case is very, very high. Um, but luckily what saved me was, again, writing. And um, this came through the form of letter writing with my high school teacher. Even though I was somebody who I thought was just a regular student to him, I think I meant much more to him. Um, and even though we were two completely polar opposites, I was brown, he was white. Mm -hmm. um, I had came from a different type of background. Um, I didn't like writing. He loved writing. Um, <laughs> we began to build somewhat of a connection. And this to me was 
just having somebody who would listen to you. And that um, that's something that really highly resonate pops. So when people talk about pops, um, I would like to say that my pops came through the form of letter writing um, uh, instead of the actual classroom. I see. And, and yeah, and eventually um, because of that, uh, not just writing, but also doing the internal work, uh, going to self-help classes, really understanding the childhood trauma and taking actual steps to improve that is what ultimately uh, led me to have my sentence commuted by Governor Brown and he reduced my 22-year sentence to a nine-year sentence. Mm. Now, why do you think that um, that happened? And is that standard for a teen tried as an adult given a pretty long sentence uh, that your sentence was commuted? Um, how, how, do you, how can you explain that? Um, I don't think at the time it was standard. Mm -hmm. I think something that's really picking up specifically in the state of California, because it's very, very progressive. Um, I think a lot of brain science is being done, um, really understanding that children's brains weren't fully developed up until the age of 25. And even though we knew science was behind this, right, there really wasn't a lot of legislation that was putting this forward. Um, but I think through the advocacy of a lot of folks out here, specifically a top advocate for me, which was Scott Budden, Scott Budnick, the director of the Anti-Recidivism Coalition. Mm -hmm. He really understood children. He understood that children weren't people that should be understood based off of one mistake that they made their whole entire lives. Um, and he, he clearly saw that if you keep up with these children, follow them into the adult system, and if they have the proper support system, change will happen. Positive change will happen. And I think after just advocacy on this behalf, um, legislation started coming through. And so now it's something that I think we see a lot more regularly, um, but before it wasn't necessarily the case. That's really an incredible thing. And now, did Scott, was he uh, in touch with Governor Brown? Was he influential in, in the commutation, do you think? Um, I, I think so in the sense that... Uh, he, he, he knew people, right? Like, he has access to these people. It's something that a lot of folks don't necessarily have. So I don't know exactly what part, how much of a part he played in it, but I think mm -hmm. just having access uh, is a huge thing. Well, that's, that's terrific. You, um, you mentioned uh, brain science, and I've done a lot of reading about that, and it's, it's something that is getting far more attention these days than maybe, you know, way long time ago. And one of the things I read is children are not little adults. And that, that is so very, very true. But we do know exactly what you said, that the prefrontal cortex is the last to finish developing. And that's where um, teens get into difficulty. That's the risk-taking part of the brain, the impulsivity, uh, not thinking too far ahead and saying, well, if I do this, uh, this might be the result. Uh, that's not the way teens think. And I, mm -hmm. I think in understanding brain science, as you say, um, I, I think um, a number of uh, changes have definitely occurred. So you were very fortunate. Now, how long have you been at home? I've been home in August, so it will be three years. Three years. Yeah. And 
how how does um, Pops the Club fit into this journey from prison to college where you are today? Um, that's a very short amount of time you've been out and you've you've certainly gotten involved in some very good things. So what can mm -hmm. you tell us about that? Um, so th there's a lot to learn. Uh, I think just re I, I sometimes I, I, I don't really like the term or the phrase reentering the community. Mm -hmm. Um, one, because even though uh, our family members and our loved ones are in, are displaced in deserts and far off areas away from inner cities, um, that's still our community. Whether they're locked up in prison, they're still our community and we're still responsible for them. Um, but in the traditional sense, re-entering the community, uh, I began to understand things a little bit differently. Um, not only did I just pick up from, I went in at 17 and came home and I was 26, about to turn 27. Um, and I had to completely just play catch up. It felt like it at least. Um, but also something that I discovered was that um, even though I was home, things weren't necessarily okay. Um, a lot of the times I had this belief, or at least my mother, my, my brothers and sisters, we had not necessarily outspoken, but we had this internal belief that, you know what, things would be better. And they are. Um, but upon coming home, I noticed that there are a lot of gaps. Um, I had to relearn to understand who my brothers and sisters were. I had to meet my mom again, right? And the new person that she was. And they also had to take in like the person who I was and how I had changed. And I began to notice that even though these things were occurring, not many people wanted to talk about it. Um, it's hard to talk about it yeah. because behind it, there's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of pain. Yeah. Um, and that's what connected me to Pops because nice. I began to see that this 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 journey of incarceration not only affected me, if it affected my whole community. Um, it affected my neighbors that were inside the buildings where I lived at. Um, it affected everybody. And this is a, a whole new world completely new to me because when you're inside, uh, you receive letters, you get phone calls if you're fortunate and if you have the privilege to do so. But um, we don't necessarily see the hurt, right? That's something that our, our families protect us from. Um, so, yeah. Now, um during your eight and a half years of incarceration, did you get visitors? Uh, were did your family visit you, and did they stay in touch by phone or letter? Yeah, they did. Um, my family would visit probably once or twice a year. Mm -hmm. um, also, had friends like Dennis who would come, uh -huh. um, and everybody would continue to write. So I had a very very strong support system that was advocating for me that would support me um, and that continues to do so. How, how important is it for someone in prison to have an outside support system? Um, I think it's pivotal, specifically people like Dennis, who not only was a high school teacher, right, but he, he chose to wear these different hats and he played different roles. He was also kind of like a counselor for me. He was also a father figure for me. Um, but this is integral because going in at that age, something that I don't know if other people can resonate with it, but what commonly happens is that the outside world, you kind of forget about it. Um, you forget about the memories and the lived experiences that you have. And so I think it's essential to have those grounding points that remind you that, Hey, you are still a community member. 
you are still loved, you are appreciated, and somebody does care about you. Um, so that in the long run, um, you have something to look forward to. Because um, it's, it's, it's not something that I can speak from, but I, I wouldn't know how to, how to grasp coming home and not having one single person that I knew mm. who loved me to come home to. That's, that's true. Now, tell us a little bit more about your involvement with Pops, the club. Um, yeah, so aside from being a board member, um, one thing that, that I, I first started off as a volunteer, um, one, because I just remember that critical age. I, I knew what was going on in my life and all these decisions that I had to make, and ultimately I crumbled. I didn't know how to take that on. But one thing that I began to understand and get involved with was volunteering because I was just amazed at some of the decisions that these kids were making. And sometimes I don't even like to use the word kids, but as you mentioned, they are kids. But sometimes it's sadly they act as adults because they're filling in shoes that they shouldn't have to. Um, but I just seen a lot of the, the work that they were doing, um, the, the leaps that they were taking specifically in the classroom with writing. Um, we use different forms of therapy. Uh, we use different outlets and how to communicate, how to express our emotions, something that I wasn't necessarily taught, but I see 15, 16, 17 year olds doing this. Um, and I'm like, y'all are way ahead of the game. I know 40, 40 year olds, 60 year olds who still are scared to do the internal work. And um, I think it's so pivotal for them to have the, the safe space for them to do that. Um, and also one thing that I admire about them is just the resilience that they have. Um, me as somebody who, I didn't know I was a pops kid technically in the beginning. Um, my father was once incarcerated. My mother was once incarcerated. Uh, two of my brothers were once incarcerated. So we, we come from a, a history of incarceration. Um, but one thing that I'm learning from them is how to continue to support those that are inside because it's hurtful. It's hard. I think it's harder to do than just serving out your sentence. And I still have, I have a brother who's still, he's in jail. I have my best friend who's still serving a life sentence. Mm -hmm. And I am understanding through them how to best support them because I need to be strong for them and I know how it feels. And this is something that I learned from them and I just admire them for that so much. Now, when you say to support them, can, can you be specific? What do you mean by that? Um, a lot of it's emotional support. Okay. Um, a lot of it is, for example, my best friend who is serving a life sentence, um, nobody knows if he'll ever come home. That's the sad truth. Yeah. Um, you have to be granted parole. But even though there's all these these things that we, we don't necessarily understand and we don't know if it will ever happen, to have the power to say, you know what, what? you're going through this, I'm going to stick it out with you, and we're going to fight through this together, um, that's the support that I mean. Where <laughs> it, it's, it's something that it hurts to ask of a child, right? But a lot of these children, they willingly give it. They're there to support their family members, their loved ones. Um, that's how much love they have. For, for those folks is there would you say it's accurate that there's almost a reversal of roles where say um a son is in high school and his dad is in prison 
suddenly um, the son might have to be the parent. Would you say that's accurate? I think in some sense, I mm-hmm. think it's accurate. I believe it's very, very accurate. Um, just because they don't have the support system that a regular child has. And I feel like they have to kind of build that and recreate it. Um, and in that sense, yes, that they, in a sense, become those, those figures. Yeah. Um, I know that my younger brothers, that when we left, even though I didn't have a father growing up, um, we would play those favorites. We would try to mimic them, right? Try to recreate what we thought were, were adults or parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we left, my younger siblings likely felt that they had to replace those shoes that we try to somehow recreate. Right. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's tough. No, no child should have to be put into those shoes, but mm-hmm. the, the situation sometimes demands it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what are your goals for the next year or so? You're how very thrilling that you are graduating, as you said, virtually <laughs> but uh-huh. th- these days. Uh, but what, as you look ahead, what, what do you see for yourself? Well, um, graduate school, I, I see graduate school. Um, I don't know what yet. I don't know if I want to pursue a PhD. I don't know if I want to go into law school yet. I'm undecided. Um, but I know that I will be back in prison, helping my fellow community members and teaching graduate course, uh, teaching four-year university courses inside the institutions. Oh, um, I will do that eventually. Um, I don't have a time span for that. But also a, an additional thing that I want to do as I continue moving through education is to continue to create those safe spaces for students who are formerly incarcerated and system impacted. And that's something that we do here. Um, I'm going to UCLA and we have a student organization called the Underground Scholars Initiative. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do. And it's something that I begin to see again. It's repeated. It's repeatedly coming up that um, incarceration doesn't stop when somebody comes home. Um, mm-hmm. These family members have to deal with probation. They have to deal with parole, right? They in themselves, just for having a family member stay over the house, they give up their privacy rights. There's a police officer who could just come troll in mm-hmm. and move their stuff, touch their things, um, come in in the middle of the night. There's all these things that all these kids and just kids have to live with. But once they transition into adulthood, they continue to live with this. Um, and it's something that we create here on campus. Um, it's kind of like a grown up version of Pops, but where we oh. support one another. We understand that um, that it's hard to love somebody who's incarcerated. That's that's wonderful. This underground scholars uh, is it is it just um, at uh, your you're at UCLA? Is that, yes. Yeah. Yes. Is it is uh, that underground scholars just there, or is it um, you know in other colleges and universities? Um, I believe we're in all the in the so California has a UC system. It's a University of California mm-hmm. system, right. and we're in all those schools except, except for two, I believe. So oh. we're beginning to broaden out. Terrific. That's wonderful. I, I think it's very much what Amy would like to see with Pops, the club, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. expand it to every high school in the country. I'm sure if she could wave a magic wand, that's what she yep. would like. And <laughs> I, I would like to see that too. It's a, it's such a wonderful support system for kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she'll, she uh, has told us a great deal about it. Well, I'm trying. Oh, I know what I wanted to ask you a little bit about the um, 
anthology that mm -hmm. uh, Pops um, publishes. Can you tell us a little bit about that in our the few minutes we have sure. left? Um, okay. So the anthologies are a collection of short stories, a uh, collection of letters. Um, it also has photography. It also has visual art. Um, and what it is, it's an opportunity for uh, for pop students to really express themselves. Um, and not only that, I think it's important to also see yourself. When it, I, I so I remember um, contributing a piece of work. This was before Pops was created, and Dennis used to have small anthologies for our class. Um, and one of them got published through Penn, and it was a collection of short stories. And I remember he sent me a copy a copy of it when I was incarcerated. Uh, this was the first time I had seen my name in print. Hmm. Um, and it's just it's something for me. To me, it validated the idea that my stories are true, that they that they hold something. Um, and lastly, for me, at least, was that I am a writer. I can do this, right? Um, and that meant the world to me. And just having that safe space and to visualize and see myself, like, I'm a published person, right? Mm -hmm. I'm either my artwork's published, my photography's published, or my writing is published, but... I have something to contribute. And I think that's that's huge. A lot of us in, inherently, I think we know this, right? But we're, we're afraid to, to, to really hone that. Um, and it's something that I think we, th those anthologies do provide the space for them to be heard. Yeah. And it's a platform for their voices to be vocalized. That's, that's so wonderful. You mentioned Penn. Uh, mm -hmm. Penn is a very old organization I'm not sure how our how much our listeners might know about it. It's almost a hundred years old. I think next year it'll be a hundred. And back in the early '70s, someone had an idea um, to start a prison writing contest. Penn it recognizes very well-known authors from around the world. So it's, it's a very huge organization. Mm -hmm. um, but what they decided to do was create a contest for people in prison. And I, what a wonderful thought that there's some talent in prison. And indeed, there is a great deal of talent in prison. Mm -hmm. And now every year they have prizes uh, for winners in categories of memoir, poetry, even a, a, a short play or a novella. Um, and just what you said, the recognition, the validation that you have something to say that maybe people would love to read and get mm -hmm. something from. So um, I champion them. I, I just, uh, I think they're a terrific, terrific group. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's great. So we only have a couple minutes left and um, I wanted to thank you for sharing your story with us today. Um, I'd like the, our listeners to tune in next time when we will meet Shaylee Heflin, also active with Pops the Club and a child of incarcerated parents. So she will have a perspective that will be all her own. Um, and then uh, this, this is uh, one part of a multi-part podcast uh, addressing the whole idea of the impact of prison on families and children. And we will also have some of the Pops Club members on in a, in a few weeks. So stay tuned for that. 
And as always, please share your thoughts and comments with me at pursuing.justice5 at gmail.com. Be safe, be well. Thank you for spending part of your day with us. And John, thank you so very much for your time today on the program. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome.